Hello, and welcome to Maine Policy Matters, the official podcast of the Margaret Chase Smith Policy Center at the University of Maine, where we discuss the policy matters that are most important to Maine's people and why Maine policy matters at the local, regional, and national levels. My name is Daniel Susi, and I'll be your host. There are so many interesting and innovative things going on in Maine politics and Maine policy today that deciding on a topic for our initial podcast was no small feat. Instead of choosing one, in our first episode, we sat down with executive editor of Maine Policy Review, Dr. Linda Silka, to discover the emerging policy issues that researchers, students, and policymakers are writing about in the journal. Since its inception in 1991, Maine Policy Review has published nearly 800 articles and has well over 2,000 subscribers. Since augmenting its print edition with the Digital Commons website, Maine Policy Review's articles have been downloaded over 260,000 times from over 9,100 institutions from over 203 different countries. This excellent resource highlights the variety of Maine policy matters being researched and debated in the state, but also shows that Maine policy matters to individuals across the globe. Hi, Linda, and thanks for uh, joining us today. Thanks for asking me. So, Linda, can you tell us the topical focus of Maine Policy Review? What's what's contained in the journal, the, the pages of the journal? And what's the overall mission for Maine Policy Review? One of the things that is just so interesting about Maine Policy Review is what the title says, what the, the name of uh, We are really focused on Maine, and we're really focused on policy, and we're very much focused on not the most immediate thing, but very much on review, on really thinking about what's gone on in the past, what's going to go on in the future, Hmm. what's going on now, and how we can think about all of these things. So would you say, so it kind of sounds like main policy review is not your... So your typical academic journal with these like theorists and specialists that are speaking to audiences of like their specialist peers, but uh, Maine Policy Review is something that's a bit broader. So could you describe for us the yeah. writing style and maybe the accessibility of Maine Policy yeah. Review? Who's really writing these articles for publication and what do you think their intended takeaways or yeah. their intended audiences? Yeah. Really a, a good uh, question. In a lot of states, there's a big gap. There are great things being written by academics, and there are great things being written by newspapers. But there isn't anything like a, a journal that that takes a longer view, that brings in different um, kinds of writers, and really, really speaks to a kind of style of writing that doesn't assume that um, you have a whole bunch of academic knowledge. It Hmm. doesn't dumb down anything. It just doesn't hide things behind the kind of academic knowledge we often use. And our writers vary greatly. Uh, We have academics, uh, we have policymakers, we have business leaders, um, and we try very hard to um, help people write in a way that's going to help them reach a broad audience. Um, That's really important. We want high school students to be able to pick up Maine Policy Review and say, oh, this relates to a class I'm in. 
We want to have people living in senior facilities be able to do that. We want people in the Augusta State House. We want people that are um, working for councils of government. We want people to pick it up and say, I need to tell my other colleagues about this because it's really covering some important things. That's fascinating. So it sounds like it combines sort of the best of both worlds as part, you know, living in um, uh, the realm of academia, but still it is accessible to a broad, um, broad audience. So it sounds like Maine Policy Review is this really content rich journal and is able to speak to a variety of different individuals, both that are, you know, in the realm of policymaking, as well as individuals just interested in understanding policy. So have you found that there's any specific themes or topics that's gotten more coverage over time in Maine Policy Review? Um, Does Maine itself have any recurring issues that keep uh, popping up in the journal over time? One of the things that's a a recurring issue and probably won't be a surprise to a lot of people is how do we keep our our children in the state? Once Once they leave school... How do we make sure we have the jobs and the opportunities that people will stay? Um, how do we make sure that people want to come to Maine who have the skills that we need? And that's a, that's an interesting struggle that if you look back, um, you know, we're in our bicentennial year, that's been a long-term struggle for Maine is how to make sure that People can find what they need in the state, and there are a lot of policy issues there. They're about what kinds of jobs are available, how do we train people, they're about education, uh, they're about the infrastructure that exists. We are we are so far apart compared to other um, states in New England. Our distances are so great. We have opportunities to think about that in terms of the policy kinds of issues and having people come and have people stay. But they're recurrent kinds of issues. Um, and we, we are a state that is, on the one hand, we've long-term uh, been, been uh, focused on things like marine issues and forestry um, and farming. Those are still very important, but how do we blend and think about those with other things that are going on in um, the times now? And so those are common kinds of issues that keep recurring, and we really go at them. We really think about them. We don't say, uh, well, we haven't solved it, so we're never going to be able to solve it. There's a real interesting can-do kind of um, approach. So these these so I guess I'll look at it from the other side of the coin for a second. So do you think the fact that these policy issues keep recurring, so things like uh, uh, articles about jobs, articles about training, about education, about you know um, uh, eliminating uh, uh, the the drain of young people from the state, or maybe even attracting others to the state? If you so you see these as recurring issues over time in Maine Policy Review. Do you, do you think the state is, um, does it mean we're having trouble solving these problems as a state? Um, or uh, what do you make of that, I guess? Another interesting question. What I make of it is that they really are difficult problems, and we need to kind of step up and try things, not assuming that they're necessarily going to work, but they're, they're are, are, what we do is is really based on kind of the best evidence in terms of what's going to go on. But they're really difficult kinds of issues, and we got to keep trying. Um, 
One of the, there are now books being written by policymakers and academics that are about wicked problems. And that should really uh. resonate with Maine. And they use that term for these problems that don't have a single solution. You know, they might be things that combine what we need to do about education, so increasing the number of students that go to college, what we need to do about um, uh, the decline in certain industries, what we need to do about uh, the, the issues that are going on in terms of an aging population. And they're... When I tell students, I say, okay, we're going to talk about wicked problems, and I hold up you know, some of the um, books that have been written about it, they laugh. They just say, oh, yes, because it really resonates <laughs> in terms of uh, the use of wicked in, in, in Maine. Absolutely. So you've, I guess you see uh, Maine Policy Review looking at these wicked problems as a real asset that they keep recurring yes. in the journal. Yeah. Great. So in every issue of Maine Policy Review, I see that you write a column entitled Reflections. And and one theme I've seen running through these columns in Maine Policy Review is how Maine is at the forefront regionally and nationally in policy-related matters. Um, can you expand on this and maybe speculate a little bit on Maine Policy uh, Review's role in propelling Maine to its position as this policy innovator? Yeah. So... Um, last week I was down in um, Maryland at a, um, a meeting that was bringing together people from a lot of different states who were kind of thinking about um, uh, policy kinds of issues, and I took some copies of Maine Policy Review, and we talked about some things that were there. And that, um, In two weeks I'm going to Arizona to give talks about some of these kinds of things at University of Northern Arizona, and they're interested in part in trying to figure out why is it that there are these interesting things going on in Maine. Um, and there are a couple things that, that are, to me, are fascinating about Maine that may be why some policy kinds of things get started here and get going here. One is that people know each other. The, the degrees of, of you know, acquaintance are... Are, people are pretty linked, and so information gets passed around fairly quickly. Mm. Um, the second is, and I'm not going to name any states, but states that I've lived in, uh, there's a lot of status-oriented things that are not a part of the main kind of way of doing things. And I saw that status oriented approach really getting in the way of coming up with solutions. You know, it was more about the person uh. and less about the problem solving. Um, and I think a third interesting thing is we have a, a whole set of the issues come together. So we have a coastline a lot of interesting opportunities and problems. We have forestry. You know, we have just all these things that come together. And so we have to keep thinking about policy across our different kind of positions and points. Hmm. That's very interesting. So it's in some ways, Maine Policy Review then is really reflective of Maine culture and of yeah. Maine society. 
Now, one of my favorite parts of the journal, Linda, are these thought-provoking covers that are designed by main artist Robert Shetterly. Now, I know that there's been a bit of controversy at times regarding the cover art for Maine Policy Review. Can you tell us a little bit about that controversy and what are the assets and liabilities for Maine Policy Review that come along with having such evocative cover uh, based on original artwork? Yeah. yeah. Well, um Sometimes people are concerned when they see the artwork, they they draw conclusions about the artwork that are different than the artists expected. Um, and uh, I think it's the main way that they let us know. <laughs> they don't, you know, just go and talk to their neighbors and say, but they let us know. And then we actually try to be responsive, have a little piece, you know, in the um, so the next issue about it. But one of the things that's interesting about the covers, is I, I was over at one of the offices um, the, in the uh, university, one of the, the big offices, and we were talking a little bit about Maine Policy Review, and they said, we are so jealous. We just love those covers. <laughs> and when I go to visit um, different legislators, the first thing you'll see oftentimes on their you know, table that in their waiting room is the Maine Policy Review. And when I was down in Washington for a meeting with our congressional representatives going to their offices... They had them on their tables, the main policy review. That was very exciting. <laughs> so the uh, sort of having the same artist over time definitely gives main policy review a, a distinct look to it, and it's kind of brands it in a yeah. way. Um, now, my favorite personal cover is the sheep that's sitting in front of the recliner, <laughs> watching television and smoking a cigarette, sort of uh, this uh, looking at sort of a, a quintessential uh, uh, what's wrong with American lifestyle sort of yeah. uh, 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 piece of artwork. So which NPR cover is your favorite? and why? I have two favorites. One is the one for the library issue and where it shows a, a drawing of a cell phone kind of capturing that now we listen as opposed to ne- necessarily reading. Um, but it also shows the steps going up to it that look just like a library. So it captures... Ah. Um, that whole issue was about um, uh, do we, uh, you know, do we need, still need libraries? And the head of um, the UMaine Library and I wrote a piece for it um, that was called um, something like "Are Libraries Necessary or Libraries Obsolete?" And it has been downloaded more than anything else I've I've. Hmm ever written. And I hear from people, and you look at the map that comes up on our website about what's being downloaded and where. All over the world, people are thinking about that issue, apparently. That makes me really think about sort of the scope and impact of Maine Policy Review uh, and sort of the shift uh, that covers really exemplary of uh, the shift of Maine Policy Review in some ways from just being a uh, print medium to having some sort of digital um, space. Now, the content of the journal from the articles and columns like yours that you write to the cover art really make the journal a compelling read and a really recognizable feature, like you said, in legislative offices and businesses, places like this. Um, And so Maine Policy Review 
in its history has published nearly 800 articles over three decades, and there are over 2,000 subscriptions to the print copy of the journal. So who are the individuals or institutions on NPR's mailing list that's, uh, that's receiving the journal? Yeah. Every library in the state gets it, and you'll often see it displayed. Um, uh, all the legislators get it. And then there are also are a lot of individuals and organizations um, that, that, that get it. Um, my hope is that high school students will use it in their classroom since they can download um, articles and they can see things that we find more and more ways to really reach people across the age range because policy issues affect us all. And the writing is really intended to be accessible to everybody. And we do have, um, I mean, there was a wonderful article in um, the Citizen Science um, issue that was um, a teacher um, who interviewed uh, one of his students who uh. was doing really, really interesting citizen science. I'd love to have every student in the state know about that, download it and read that article. That's fascinating. Now, I, I do know um, that the journal does have some relationship with high schools through the Margaret Chase Smith uh, Library's essay contest, and that you do publish, uh, yes. at times, articles from high school students. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's just... It's such an important kind of um, initiative to have to assist students in seeing that they have something to offer, that they have something to say, and to learn how to frame what it is they have to say. And that it isn't just something that's, say, shared with their family or shared with their teachers, but that it gets a broad audience by being in um, each year in one of our issues. And um, it's just really interesting to read those and see what the students have to say and to get a sense of kind of... of um, what's going on. And another one of my dreams would be to have everyone who um, comes to Maine to teach in colleges in their orientations, that they would read those essays written by high school um, students in Maine to give a sense, get a sense of the culture and the, the talent that's there. That's very interesting. A lot of people say that youth sort of is the uh, call, uh, provides the call to action for policymakers. Yes. So it's great that you yeah. fold high school students yeah. into, into the journal. Now, what's really impressive to me regarding the readership of Maine Policy Review is it's not only its vast impact throughout the state of Maine, right? You said it's in every library and in all these institutions, but it also has this worldwide readership. So I was thinking about this just this morning, and I looked online at the readership of the journal through University of Maine's Digital Commons website, and there was over 260,000 downloads of Maine Policy Review articles from almost almost 9,100 institutions in over an astounding 203 countries. So who's the typical audience accessing the journal online, and what ways do you think they're using Maine Policy Review's content? It's um, when you have time in the morning and you're bored, go on the website and just you can just sit there and watch the downloads, <laughs> and it tells you which article who's downloading it, and there's a wonderful map. So you can see that people in India are downloading da-da-da, you know, or um, 
the, um, you know, it's just really, really interesting to see. And you can see that there's every kind of institution, you know, represented. There are uh, governments in different countries. Um, there are schools. There are colleges. There are businesses. It's just very, very uh, interesting. And I, to go back to the example earlier of the um, library issue, it's and how often it gets downloaded. It's getting downloaded in um, all these different countries. I mean, you see it all, all over in Africa, you know, in um, uh, Eastern Europe. It, and, and so trying to think about what does that mean and how do we pay attention to that is just... It's just very interesting because on the one hand, our primary audience is having this work for Maine, but knowing that it's really getting downloaded at a lot of in a lot of other locations is very exciting. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, and it sort of shows to how things have changed over time for Maine Policy Review yeah. that, you know, it's gone from this uh, uh, sort of in-print uh, only yeah. journal to having this broad worldwide appeal through the University of Maine's Digital Commons website. So clearly having some sort of online presence really is a benefit to um, to the journal. So you're utilizing UMaine's uh, Digital Commons website to increase the readership in what other ways is Maine Policy Review moving itself into the digital age where print media seems to always need some sort of yeah. supplementation yeah. online, right? Yeah. Because we have this 24-hour news cycle now yeah. and individuals have this insatiable need that yeah. once they start learning about or researching various topics, there's just this need for yeah. instant gratification yeah. to learn yeah. everything you can yeah. about that topic. So yeah. in what ways is Maine Policy Review um, interacting with that? What I think is really interesting is we're saying we're not going to um, simplify things in the sense that um, we're not we're not going to keep this kind of deep knowledge going on. But what we're going to do is bring eyes to it, and we're going to use whether it is um, things like Twitter or or other kinds of really skills that that you know different strategies that we're learning about, and we have a lot to learn. But bringing the eye eyes to the issues, to the questions, to the opportunities, and using all of those different um, opportunities to increase people's thinking about policy in Maine. Because what's true of a democracy? It's that we, we ideally we make decisions based on what everyone you know, thinks, um, you know, Maine is leading in, in some of the ranked choice mm. kinds of things, that we're really thinking about those things. So how do we make sure that we're using new technologies to bring people to the complicated issues? Yeah, so I did notice that you, uh, you like you said, you're on Twitter. There's this increased presence on social media, an uh, Instagram account, a Facebook account. And it's very true that a lot of the content in Maine Policy Review can't be simplified down, can't be boiled down to the 144 yes. characters or whatever. Yeah. So it's interesting that you're using a platform like Twitter to steer people in the right direction by looking what people are talking about online and then saying, hey, if you're interested in Twitter, Tourism, check out these articles. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And it is just amazing uh, on really on all my travels. 
uh, one of the first things I ask, pe- ask people when I'm giving talks different places, I say, have you been to Maine? And I get one of two different responses. One is, oh, yes, and then long <laughs> stories about being there. And the second is, no, but I want to go to Maine. Uh-huh. Now, growing up in Iowa, we didn't hear people saying things like that. <laughs> and so how do we, you know, I mean, people are very interested they are interested in how we're solving problems. They're interested in coming and spending time here. You know, how do we make sure that they know about the interesting kinds of ways we're thinking about how to solve problems? So it sounds like you've been traveling a lot for work <laughs> and, you know, you tell people about um, about Maine Policy Review. People will have this interest yeah. in Maine. Maine has this very strong sense of place with visitors, with local people. Now, when you... When you travel, do you take main policy with you? Um, yes. And uh, what, what do people, uh, you know, when you're traveling for conferences, to give talks, to have meetings, what are people's reactions, those people from away, when you introduce them to main policy Two review? or three things people say. One is, we don't have anything like this. How did this get started? How, how, how do you do all of this? That's one thing people say. The second is, um, are pieces downloadable? Uh-huh. Um, and the third thing that people often say is, I'm interested in da-da-da policy issue. Have you had anything on that? Uh-huh. And then I, I say, yeah, and if we happen to be near a computer, you know, I show them how you can go online and check those things out. Or if we're not, I show them... Uh, a copy or two that I'm carrying and say, well, let's see what's in this issue and and things. So those are the kinds of questions uh, that I get. But the first thing that, or the comments, but the first thing is usually, oh, we don't have anything like this. That's interesting. So in some ways, main policy review is at the forefront of this exchange between academia, policymakers, and having this real mix, this real asset of being able to talk amongst audiences, talk across um, different education levels, uh, like you said, getting high schoolers to college students involved, uh, all the way up through academics, policymakers, business leaders. Uh, that's fantastic. And maybe, uh, maybe if you look at that map of downloads, as you're traveling around the country, maybe the maybe the downloads uh, spike in areas yeah. where uh, where <laughs> that you have been. Be fun. <laughs> So that's interesting because in some ways, you know, uh, it seems like uh, throughout our conversation here, you're, you're um, talking about how Maine Policy Review exemplifies the uniqueness of Maine society and the uniqueness mm-hmm. of culture in, uh, in the uh, state of Maine. Uh, so uh, do you have any further thoughts on that? Or? Here, here's an example of how I think that it, it does um, illustrate that, and that is... Um, one of the, we always have a Margaret Chase Smith essay written by uh, somebody who's noted, you know, about issues that are, that are going on. Uh, one of them in the last uh, few years was by Ted Ames. Mm-hmm. He's a fisherman, but he's also somebody who won uh, the MacArthur Genius Award, and he's really thinking about how do we maintain our fisheries um, in a warming ocean, and Having him be the person who wrote that, I think, really illustrates something about Maine. Here's Hmm. somebody who is um, deeply committed to fishing, but also deeply committed to policy, and is, is internationally recognized for his innovative work in that area. 
That's interesting. So Maine Policy Review in some ways is is made by local people for local policy concerns, obviously with these broader ramifications, but it also creates some sort of local buy-in to these yes. policy yes. Uh, policy issues as well. That's, uh, that's all incredibly yeah. fascinating. So I guess before we're out of time together, it'd be great for you to share with us, like, what's on the horizon for Maine Policy Review? Give, uh, uh, give listeners an idea of what, uh, where Maine Policy yeah. Review is going, uh, going in the future. Now, I, I know Maine Policy Review has had a variety of special issues in the past, right? So topics like leadership, food, uh, aging, climate change, and of course, my favorite as a historian, the intersections between humanities and uh, policy. So does Maine Policy Review have anything planned to commemorate Maine's bicentennial? Yes, we're so excited about, um, we're doing an issue that's uh, uh, focused on the bicentennial. And it really, the bicentennial in in so many ways um, illustrates the kind of thing that we're trying to do with Maine Policy Review, looking into the past, looking at the present, thinking about the future. And um, there's just so much that's terrific that is uh, going on right now. Little snippets and papers, just just all kinds of wonderful things. Uh, Colin Woodard, um, who's on our, our uh, main policy review board, has been doing amazing um, lead articles in the Portland paper about the bicentennial and the, and the kind of history. So we're we're... We have great people who have come forward to write articles. We're really trying to capture all kinds of different perspectives, the past, the future, where we're going as a state, um, and very, very excited about it as this issue will represent, I think, what we do uh, well, which is not focusing just on the present, but looking at the past, looking at the present, and looking at the future. That's interesting because it circles back to what we were talking about kind of at the beginning of our conversation, which is the assets of Maine Policy Review having these issues occur over and over again in the uh, in the journal. So it sounds like the bicentennial issue in some ways brings all of that together and combines Great it weds point. the past, the present, and future yeah. together in sort yeah. of a, a very concrete way yeah. for, for readers. Now, moving into the digital world and sort of um, uh, administering a journal, editing a journal, must have some unique challenges. So what are, what are some of those unique challenges for Maine Policy Review as you move forward? Really thinking about, uh, again, this how to keep the depth of, um, of sort of analysis that's included, but how to do it in a way that works when we have podcasts or when we have uh, Twitters or when we have things on Facebook and how to really think about continuing to, to keep the complexity of the analysis so we end up with policies that, that have a long um, life that work across uh, different issues. And so many people haven't solved this yet. We probably, it'll take us a while to figure out how to bring together the, the digital age things, but we're working on it, and we have talented people like you that are helping. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, now, I know, yeah, I have seen that uh, there's some facts and figures that get posted to Instagram and Facebook that shows like a chart of, um, for example, uh, the age range of suicides in Maine, yes. and then that steers 
Spears readers to that that uh, article on that subject, or it talks about tourism in northern Maine. There's charts yes. about that, and then that steers readers to those broader articles. So in some way, it sounds like you're harnessing social media to say, here's an interesting yes. clip that fits into those yeah. that one image or those yeah. 144 yeah. characters, and then saying, and here's the broader yeah. thing that here's the broader topic yeah. you can get at. Yeah, that that's not the whole story. Go go read the whole story. Fantastic. Yeah. That's great yeah. that you're doing that in this age of sort of clickbait where yeah. people get headlines and then all they do is share the headlines yeah. and they never dig into the story. So it sounds like main policy reviews really committed to this uh, moving people towards the broader, the more yeah. complex uh, story instead of just delivering those yeah. small snippets and yeah. that is it. And wouldn't it be fun if we had in neighborhoods across the state, like we had a main policy review day where neighbors just come together and everybody talks about the same article, but that's that's really relevant to something you know that's going on in the the state right now. I, I, I'm leading a number of, of book groups and where I'm, I'm really seeing just how much people like having something that can focus their discussions. And boy, it would just be so interesting if we could move in that direction or thinking about the different faith communities where people regularly get together. And could we have um, May is the month where you read a main policy review issue and, and, and talk about it. And we all, you know, or people who are listening to this, we, we decide, you know, to do that in some way or going to a lot of the um, uh, retirement communities you know, that are, that are there. Or that we come up with a package of materials for newcomers that come into our communities. And one piece of that is a one-pager about the main policy review and how they can, you know, get it and learn from it. Very interesting. So if you are, so if an individual who's listening is interested in setting up a book group or bringing NPR into their faith communities, uh, I've provided your contact information as sort of the summary. Is it, uh, would it be good for them to contact you and you that. can uh, steer them yes, in directions? I love that. Yeah. So let's say to close, let's let's pretend for a minute I'm a policymaker or I'm a business leader or I'm an educator who's really discovering main policy review for the first time through this podcast, right, uh, listener out there. Um, so can you tell me quickly why I should hop online and access my free copies of the journal? And in what ways is main policy review an asset to these individuals? Yeah. Um, what I would say to myself is, what's a problem that I'm worrying about or thinking about, and I don't know as much as I would like about it? Could be about roads, could be about children, could be about um, the environment. Um, and um, if you go to the website, you'll see you can put in a word and a topic and and pull it up. And so I would say you're going to find, uh, think about what you're worried about. Think about things you want more information at. Think about things you really care about for Maine. Take a look at the website. Um, put in some words, see what you find. And then think about who are two or three other people that you know that you'd like to share, you know, those, those ideas with. Fantastic. So, Linda, I would like to thank you so much for sitting down with us today to talk about Maine Policy Matters and why Maine Policy Review matters to the state of Maine. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
Thanks for joining us on Maine Policy Matters. You can find this in all of our episodes where podcasts are hosted, including SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Remember to follow the Margaret Chase Smith Policy Center on social media and drop us a direct message as the show develops to express your support, provide us some feedback, or let us know what main policy matters to you. The information provided in this podcast by the University of Maine system acting through the University of Maine is for general educational and informational purposes only. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and speakers and do not represent the official policy or position of the university. This is Daniel Soucy, and I'll see you next time on Maine Policy Matters.